everybody. Balls to the wall, episode number 33 on this 4th of May. Billy Martin Jr., my co-host. I'm Kenny Matthews. And man, it's the month of May already. I mean, where's the time going by? It's, it's gone by quickly, hasn't it, buddy? <laughs> May the 4th be with you. I mean, on the Larry Bird edition of Balls to the Wall. <laughs> unreal well hey guys we definitely appreciate you guys listening to us you could do us a favor and um press the subscribe free um button for us and make a comment on rumble youtube spotify or anchor the important thing is the comment we love your comments we love i love getting text messages guys from my buddies but hey if you can do those on the comment section that would be better for all parties involved we would appreciate that. Even you tell us if we don't know what the heck we're talking about, or you can give us a good old pat on the back. Either way, we'll take it. It's for you guys. We want to bring material for you guys. Um, Billy, like I say every week, this is my favorite hour of the week. Talk some sports. We have a few things that happened over the past weekend that is going to be really interesting. Got this thing called the NFL draft that happened last week, um, Billy, and out in the land of the city of sin and all the glitz and glamour that it brought last week. It did bring a different approach to the NFL draft. As you and I talked about last week, somewhere Dr. Paul Zimmerman had to be going, what in the world is the NFL draft come to now? <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I just, I just said you're thinking in those very, very minute days of ESPN, just showing the first round of that draft with uh, Chris Berman and Paul Zimmerman. I'm thinking they're going, wow, is this the event that it has actually come to? Pretty interesting stuff, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. And in the NFL draft, there is something special about it. And I don't know if that's why, because we were all dialed in back then. And you felt you felt like you're in this exclusive club, you know, because they're they're waiting for the next pick and they'd show the war room and the guys are all moving around and uh but and now you know now there's 40 or 50 different places ranking the drafts and 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 it's it's funny to me because we all get caught up in, you know, and I, I have my opinions and I think, you know, that my guys are going to be the best guys I kind of latched on to, but they have so much more information than we do. <laughs> they have so many professional lies on those guys doing background checks, having private investigators. I mean, we're going to find out one day, like really just how deep they go. Cause I'm sorry, if I'm spending that kind of money and on, on, I'm paying a kid at the school to yeah. find out information. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, but I definitely think, uh, think some, you know, I look at some of our teams that we're fans of, I think Cowboys I think they were, they missed, they got the guy that went right after them was who they should have gotten. And Tyler Lindblom, I think, was who would have been better than the kid they got from Tulsa. But I don't know, I don't care what team I was, I would have found a way to get Jordan Davis. Yeah. I, Philadelphia Eagles may have gotten the best pick in the draft. You know? I think so, because I mean, I think it was easy for him to kind of get lost in the shuffle because he was surrounded by so many great players. But I think part of why those players were so great, because uh, what was the edge that went so early from there? Uh, yeah. So when they're showing his highlights, I'm looking and Davis is getting triple team. And it's like, Hmm. So all these other guys that are so good, None of them were getting triple team, you know? It's like, ah. And let me shed, the, I'll shed the pads and go run a four, seven, eight for you in the 40, you know, in short. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to be an immovable force, but to be that quick and that fast also, 
Yeah. I mean, Philadelphia, I, I thought Philadelphia had one of the best drafts. I thought they, they, they definitely got two starters that you can book in for them probably for the next 10 years there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also thought that, you know, Georgia, I know Wilson went number, Walker goes number one. I don't think he was the best player on the Georgia defense last year. <laughs> you know, you can make an argument that he might have been third or fourth best on that team, and they took him at number one. I, I, you know, I think you made an excellent point last week. You know, people make plays because other people are, are targeted. You know, I said, if you got three guys, you know, if Mount Cody in the middle is occupying three guys, it's a lot easier to make a lot of plays on one-on-one situations. Uh, I thought the biggest thing for Georgia was, I mean, they had 15 people drafted in this in the, in the draft on this from the team. It's the most of anybody in the seven round format now, um, eclipsing LSU from just a couple of years ago. Um, they have five defensive players selected in the first round, which has never been done. I mean, that's a collection of talent. Uh, you know, I mean. Uh, there's a reason why they were hoisting that trophy back in January over their head. I mean, that's not bad, not bad at all. And from what I understand from the early projections for next year, they got three more on that defense that's supposed to go in the first round. So you're talking about 11 players on a defense or eight of them. Well, five of them already first rounders and potentially three more. Oh, that's wow. an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> wow, that's I didn't I didn't hear that. That's pretty damn impressive. Uh, <laughs> that's just unreal, man. <laughs> just unreal. I mean, I guess my surprise of the whole deal might have been was the 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 lineman that the um the Patriots took. I mean. You know, I know we have a lot of trust in Belichick. I mean, he's earned that, obviously, with all of his trophies he's hoisted over the years. But the one knock on Belichick over the last few years is he's not getting a whole lot of production in the draft. You know, and that was a third-round grade on most people's boards there, taking him there in the, you know, mid-first round, or I should say, you know, in the 20 range. seemed like a reach. Seemed like all the proponents were really questioning again. Another is Bill Belichick, the smartest guy in the room type deal, you know, and not following everybody else's lead on just the boards. I don't know. Uh, you have to trust him because he's winning, but you have to also look at the last five or six years. He's not getting a whole lot of traction in the draft. He's not. And he allowed this guy to leave. who's was pretty good. This- quarterback who's super bold he does now and i mean if anybody ever deserved i'm sorry i don't care how old he is if he says he wants to play i'm giving the guy another year and i'm rolling out the red carpet and i how often did we hear during Tom Brady's career, that he is just the benefactor of Bill Belichick's system. Right. Right. Well, I think Bill Belichick was the benefactor of Tom Brady's awesomeness. I I thought Tom Brady the last few years kind of erased some of the deficiencies of the Patriots. You know, he had that ability to be able to do that because he was, he was Captain Comeback, you know. I mean, you know, once he was gone, Patriots realized that, oh, we can't just put Cam Cam in here and roll and think we're going to get to the playoff. That didn't, that, that didn't work. Now, they may have hit on their quarterback, you know, the Jones kid now that's there now. I'm, I'm not ready to choose. As Bill Parcells used to say, Let's put away the anointing oil just yet. <laughs> you know, I, I want to see a couple more years of that. I mean, I, I had that. Now, I did have that same approach last year with Joe Burrow. I was saying, yes, he had a great rookie year, but let's let's see him do it again in year two. And him and, and, him and Herbert were able to do that. So I am kind of putting the anointing oil a little on those two guys. But again, 
the division is not very tough. And over the years, it hasn't been very tough. You know, if you think about it, last year, the Bills played pretty well the last couple of years. But during that time that Brady was there, the Jets, the Bills, and the Dolphins, they weren't out there killing people left and right. So, that you know, they got five or six wins every year just because the division was weak. And that's because of Brady. Is Belichick's defenses were supposed to be, you know, outstanding. The last few years, I didn't think that the Patriots' defense has been outstanding at all. And that lies at the foot of Mr. Belichick, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And you know, another thing about – and I keep bringing up Tom Brady, but how do you let that guy – he took less money yeah. for to make that team better. He, he took way less money, half – of what he could have gotten anywhere else to, to make that team great. And absolutely I, excellent point. I'd like to know your what, your dealers had an interesting draft. Yes, I don't I don't know how to feel about it. I, I just really don't. I mean, this small hand syndrome, you know, for quarterbacks, they said he has the smallest hand since they've been measuring him in the draft you know I, I don't know how to what do you say to that I, I just don't know it's like <laughs> well, Mickey Mantle used to say you should date girls with small hands but I'm not going to tell why but uh you know, I, I have to I guess I guess the one thing I can say is you think the Steelers got a decent look at him since they shared the same stadium with this guy for the last couple of years with him being at the University of Pitt. I mean, I every time I saw a Pitt game last year, he looked like a good quarterback. But you and I both know, when we were here last week, there were three quarterbacks projected to go in the, third, in the first round or lower and projected to go. Two of those quarterbacks didn't hear their name until the third round. So – you know, I just I, does is our GMs getting smart and saying, well, let's not overestimate this guy's potential. We're not going to try to get somebody way up high. Are they learning from the Tua situation? Are they learning from you know the, the Carson Wentz situation? You know, I I don't know, but you know, this is the first time in a long time that quarterbacks really didn't get shot up you know, the last minute from, you know, they're rejected 28 or 29 and they got taken four for fifth, they actually stayed the course and maybe even fell down a little bit. It's, it's a crap. You know, to be an NFL quarterback, you think about how much quicker you have to make that decision. How, how much taller you have to be, uh, Every every bit about it, you cannot just. I don't watch films and say, sure, this has to work at position. I think you can grade it out at every other position better because we're talking about this. You know, we're talking about how quickly he can see the field. We're, we're everybody's faster, bigger, stronger. I mean, it's there's an unknown there for me that you know the analytics guys nobody can figure out and but that's also what makes it awesome because yeah you know you've really got to have that talented eye along with being able to throw this far get rid of the ball this quickly and i'll be able to take 340 pound guys that run four foot four four sevens from <laughs> You're going to dance on your head. And not only that, accuracy. You know, I think that that's the one thing you really can't teach. You know, you either got it or you don't. It's kind of one of those fine lines. It's, it's kind of like in baseball, either you're a thrower or a pitcher. You know, Greg Maddox was a pitcher, not a thrower. You know, it's, it's accuracy. You know, you've got to have that now in the NFL because you're fitting that ball in such tight windows now. Because these guys are huge. I mean, let's not, let's not, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. These, these are grown ass men, you know, that are playing out there. And, uh, and, and if you look at now your defensive ends are now averaging about six, five, 
six six. You know, when they get their hands up in the air, I mean, that wingspan, I mean, you're talking about like eight feet, you know, right then and there. So your quarterbacks are getting taller. Uh, it's, it's, it's an evolution of the game. But as we have said many times on it, Billy, if you, if you roll snake eye, if you get, you know, if you get snake eyes on your quarterback, it sets you back two or three years in the draft. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, and who's got that feel? feel guy is about to ear hole him and duck and bob and weave and i mean what while you're scanning the field looking for receivers getting open over over seven foot tall linemen and with everything moving around still being able to feel that it's you know you can't you can't just oh that that guy's got it yeah and every wide receiver is open on every play. If you <laughs> ask them, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that is just where um, I do wanted to say something else about Philadelphia. I thought that the trade for the A.J. Brown, I thought that was a tremendous trade for them. I mean, yeah. now you're moving the Smith kid from Alabama that was your first round pick last year. It's your second option. I mean, they, they've assembled a roster everywhere but the quarterback position. <laughs> I mean, because Jalen Hurts is still the enigma. I mean, he's got weapons now up and down that on the team there. But can he get the ball to him is the question now. I think it's a huge transition year for Jalen Hurts because the Eagles still have two first-round picks for next year, which the quarterback pool for next year seems to be a lot better. They have ammunition where they probably could move up, you know, to get a quarterback. But it, to me, it's Jalen Hurlitz put up or shut up year for him at Philadelphia because you can't say that you don't have weapons to throw the, get get the ball to anymore. No, and I wonder if it's a smart plan. All the rest of team first. Take take some shots on. Young quarterbacks, guys like we were talking third, fourth, right. you know, pick one of those guys every year. Take a shot with that while you build the rest of it all up and then and then do like the Rams did and go out there and make that trade uh, when you've got all the rest of it ready. Do, do you have a sleeper? Do you have a sleeper for the draft? Um. Well, I was, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that the sleeper of the draft may be is um, in the fourth round. And that was Isaiah Spiller, the running back for Texas A&M. Every time I see that guy play, he makes plays. Is that a guy that you're going to get the ball 20, 21 times a game at the running back spot? No, but that's guy that you can get that. You get that guy 12 to 14, 15 touches a game. He could do some, I'm not going to say, as well as Debo Samuel, but he is kind of in that same kind of a, you know, ball player type mode. He makes people miss. He's got excellent hands. He's quick. That's who I thought was a ceiling. You getting him in the third, fourth round, that was a steal, I thought. Well, I, I think that's a, that's a great one. I, uh, I'm trying to find mine. He's a wide receiver for Georgia. He oh, got yeah. injured. Was it Pickens? Pickens? Pickens or Perkins? Pickens, Pickens, George Pickens. It's yeah. um 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 Pickens. His dad used to play for the Bengals back in the day. Well, that's yeah. no wonder I liked him so much. I just <laughs> I just I did several games. I thought he was so insanely athletic, and I don't know. I just I think he's the kind of guy that could really be an impact player. In the NFL, but I I love AM's running back too, and yeah, be able to get him times a game. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Iowa State running back, that Brees Hall guy. I really liked the way he played the last couple of years in the Big Twelve. I thought that was good value getting him at thirty six. I don't think you can have enough athletic people like that on your team. You know, it's 
Now this way you're spreading everybody out and getting people out in space. That's those guys are nightmares to cover, you know. And, and, and uh, I call it making you miss in a phone booth. You know, it's really hard to kind of do. Um, the uh, the other one that I did kind of like was um, here just a second. I thought getting Malik Willis and um, Matt Corral in the third round. If those guys got first round grades or second round grades, and you're getting them in the third round, it's good value. You know, and you're only signing them to a three-year deal, too, you know, since they're not in the first or second round. So you're not putting a ton of money into the quarterback position in there. And, man, you roll the dice. If one of those guys hit, you got to steal in the third round if he's a starting quarterback for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I wonder how long does it take you to figure it out on the quarterback on the average guy? Right. I mean, you know, we watch we watch Troy Aikman go, you know, one in 17 or one in 16, whatever he did that first year. And, you know, it. Hmm. Now we're talking about a Hall of Famer. And uh, so. Can you tell how is every guy different that way? Does it all take him a little bit longer to finally put it all together and it probably different for what kind of quarterback you are. If you're a pocket passer, if you're right. that guy who moves, can you stay healthy, man? I don't know, but if you get started quarterback in the third round, it's a good day. Yes, it is. Dude. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Well, we do appreciate you guys listening to us. We appreciate it. You can go to YouTube, rumble, Spotify, anchor, hit the subscribe key there. Make a comment for us. We would greatly appreciate it. That'll help us out tremendously. Hey, I want to go to our balls and strikes here, Billy, like we always do, our little baseball nuggets here that we get from, from the past week. And I wanted to go major props to, before I forget, was to, um, to Mr. Kershaw. He is the all-time strikeout leader for the Dodgers. And, and I kind of – I figured that Don Sutton was going to be the guy just because Koufax didn't pitch long enough. But I thought maybe Drysdale, I did realize that Drysdale was number two on that list. But anytime you say you're the all-time leader as a Dodger pitcher, wow, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. Because <laughs> the one thing the Dodgers have been doing for the last 75 years is pitching. <laughs> Not bad. I mean, I wonder how much that played in his decision to go back. Because he signed up. Yeah, team favorable. Yeah. yeah, signed a very team favorable yeah. one year deal. I and there were lots of rumors that he was going to play right here in Arlington, Texas. Yes, there was uh, yes, close there was. to home. Um, so maybe we'll see that next year. Yeah, yeah, I thought you know that I, thought, I hadn't thought about it from that vantage point, but you're probably right. I mean, it was so close, you know, and if he wouldn't have got hurt last year. He would have probably done it last year in the month of um, of September last year if he wouldn't have been hurt. So, yeah, that's yeah. kudos. You know, that's kudos to him. Man. I mean, that guy is – and he's been class. You know, we've, we've said it before over and over again. He's, he's done it with class, so you, it's hard not to root for somebody like that. Me even being a Dodger hater, I have nothing but a respect for that guy and, and that organization, too, to tell you the truth. <laughs> How often does that happen like, though, where – you know, I grew up a Celtics fan. I literally got an autographed Celtics basketball. It was like a literally a baby present that I received from Red Arbach, the, the former GM. And he and my father were, were cigar smoking buddies. And, uh, and so I loved that team. And Danny Ainge played baseball too. And, you know, there were just so many reasons to like him that I hated the Lakers until all of a sudden I realized how, I, I really can't totally hate him. I know. Because <laughs> Patrick Johnson might be the best player I've ever watched. And he was, without a doubt, the most versatile player I've ever seen in my life. And so how often does that hate turn into respect? Yeah. You know, over the years, because it's like, here we live in Dallas, and obviously you're you're a Steelers fan. Yeah. 
It's, it's it's funny how I think as I've gotten older, you start appreciating some of the, the nostalgia behind it. You start realizing it takes a whole lot of energy to hate, but then you start looking at the, you know, start looking at how organizations are built. You know, for me, you know, being a you know Yankee fan, I hate the Red Sox, but what they've done in my lifetime now, I. You know, I had we had people that went 90 years without seeing them win. I had to see them win three times. You know, so it's like, you know, why did I get the short end of that stick? You know? but, but I have respect. Funny, I have respect for, me, for that tradition, for that history of what that ballpark is, how they do things there. Red Sox fan. I mean, you know, you're not going to find, you know, not many people, not many fans know the game any better than the Red Sox, you know. So when you're sitting there in Fenway Park, you know, they know what they're talking about. And you can just feel that. You know, I think you can feel Ted Williams there. So it's hard for me to hate that. You know, it really is. Uh, that was the first park that I got the chills. I really realized I was lucky to be Billy Martin's son. I was 15. I'm wearing Thurman Munson's catcher's mitt, and I'm in left field, shagging balls. One of them hits a green monster behind me and makes that iconic thunk. Oh. Brothers <laughs> and Ted Williams, and, and and I just I got the goosebumps, and the next next fly ball, my knees were wobbling together. You know, <laughs> as an agent. One of my clients, who was a starter for the Pirates, had an interleague player. Mm -hmm. And I want you to meet me up there. Mm -hmm. We walked all the way around the stadium. Wow. Just wow. he and I in street clothes, okay? And he wasn't a big-name guy, okay? Right. He was their number three or four. And the Red Sox fans, and this is a him, right? A Pittsburgh Pirate number three or four said, Good luck, Mr. Williams. I'm gonna be cheering for the Sox today, but good luck to you. And and we looked at each other like, Wow, you know, it was they were they were friendly but loyal to their, their own club, and it was a neat day. And and there isn't a better stadium in the game. I'm sorry, it just it just feels old school when you walk in there. And it's and if, if, if people that have not been there before, it's not a big park. It looks so big on TV, but when you're there, it's not a big park at all, dude. I mean, it's it's it's. I was that's what amazed me when you know walking down Yankee Way and all that. Just saying, this is not a very big state. You know, it really isn't. I think the Green Monster gave off that gave off that impression that it's a big stadium, but it's not. And those chairs are tiny, buddy. <laughs> I mean, goodness Christ! Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you have to fit in one where you look in front of you, but mm -hmm. you got to kind of watch the game around. But okay, and I know Yankee Yankee fans are going to hate hearing this, but. I used to want my father to manage the Red Sox. <laughs> when all the Yankee hirings and parents going on. Because mm -hmm. I knew, I knew that, that if dad went to Boston and had success and took them to the postseason, wow. that whenever he went back to New York, he would never retire. <laughs> Could your dad have put on a Red Sox uniform? That's what I would like to have known. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know what, though? That MLB check, he probably could have put one on. 
it would have depended how he was at George at the time, you know, because um, he had some great memories at that park. Obviously, it's where he got his first at bat in the major leagues. Um, he, the Yankees were up big against the Red Sox in 1950, and it was about the seventh or eighth inning, and Casey Stingle put him in. He let off the inning with a double and got up again in the same inning and got another knock. Nice. So his first two hits were in the same inning, and Joe DiMaggio looked at him and said, way to break in, kid. <laughs> Try to get through it. I know we were getting our balls and strikes um, segment here, and I did want to bring up this. Um, Robinson Cano getting DFA'd on Monday afternoon. Um, from what I understand, Buck um, Showalter kind of was agonizing over this over the weekend. Didn't get much sleep Sunday night after the Sunday night game and um, called Robinson Cano into the office and DFA'd him. Um, you know that there's, you know, this is something that I didn't realize until Monday night. Robinson Cano is, there's only two second basemen that have 350 home runs and, um, two, and 2,500 hits. Robinson Cano and Rogers Hornsby. Not bad company. <laughs> Not bad company, dude. That's he was on his way to Cooperstown. Now, the drugs getting busted twice took that away, but he was well on his way at one point in his career. Absolutely. You know, and he signed that monster deal. 300 mil. Seattle. Yeah. Uh, 300 mil. But he could have gotten over 200 and something mil to stay in New York. Right. I don't know exactly what the number was. I think it was 230, two something. Oh, 230 is when you go to the dentist because you're 230. But um, he, why? I know it's easy to say, oh, there's so much more money there. He stays in New York. He goes down as the greatest second baseman in Yankee history. Um, might he not make up those extra dollars in endorsements? Can you ever spend that much money anyways? And, you know, I thought it was kind of funny because his, his agent became Jay-Z, right? And, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and Jay-Z won't even do a concert in Seattle but yeah, signs Robbie Cano there. And remember, at the time, Seattle was not good when he went there. They had, they had, I mean, they had um, Felix Hernandez. Don't get me wrong; who was still there at the time. But I mean, they were good, and he went there. I mean, that was definitely a money grab, no question. But in essence, though, it really wasn't a money grab there because he ended up losing forty million of it because he was suspended last year. You know, so I mean, so all the way around, the Yankee deal would have been just about the same if he would have stayed. And like you said, his his legacy though wouldn't have been as tarnished. I don't know if he would have kept doing PEDs, being a Yankee. I'm not sure. I mean, that's that's a you know, everybody has to go cross that path of when to do that or when not to do it. So you know, I don't know what his mindset was on that time but yes I mean this is a guy that you know obviously if he would have stayed a Yankee being a Yankee you get some extra points in the Hall of Fame just for that that reason alone on voters but it's, it's sad it's tragic because at one time he was one of the most feared hitters in the American League uh, you know he was trying his best to fit in with the Yankee the Yankee way of doing things because if you remember he didn't always hustle he didn't always, you know, get the best out of it, and the Yankees were getting him around into that into that Yankee form of doing things. The O'Neills, those guys were trying to tell him, "Hey, you need to bust your butt every time," and it's just, you know, you hate to see that at the end of the career for a guy that, obviously, in this day and age, PEDs zapped zap you being able to go to Cooperstown. You know, I'm not going to feel sorry for him because he's still going to be getting paid. Paid for several years. 42 million. 42 million to go away, 
Billy. That was his left on his contract Monday. Cohen is going to write him a check for $42 million to say, I don't want you to ever suit up as a Met again. <laughs> that's, putting, that's putting your money where your mouth is, though. I mean, it really is. I mean, if you're willing to eat that contract, you said that you are such a distraction or you cannot play anymore on my team. I'm willing to say bye, good riddance, see you later. Hope you latch on with somebody else, but you're not a Met and you will never be a Met again. It'd be interesting to see if if it was just a bad start, yeah. RP's really done. Yeah. You know, I mean, come on. It's 39. Pick a team's box score right now. And and I'll tell you somebody on that club that's hitting under 200. I mean, <laughs> you know. I think I had him at. He's batting 195 and one home run and three RBIs on the year. Now. I bet I could find somebody worse on just about every. every okay, I'm looking at the Red Sox Angels. Bobby Dahlbeck's batting a butt. 47 right now for the Red Sox. Click over to the Angels. Okay, uh, well, let's see. They have they have Jose Rojas hitting a buck 60. And and their shortstop is Andrew Velasquez batting a buck 43. So it's a little early to be, you know, taking that. $42 million decision, <laughs> I think. Um, that's, so if, that's, if, if I'm if I'm a bottom feeder right now, I might just sign him for the minimum because obviously the Mets have to pay the rest of the $42 million regardless. Right. Um, sign him for the minimum and see. And see if he doesn't work himself out of it. Does Robinson Cano go to Cohen and say, hey, I just want all my money up now? Or, or does he have to still pay him on the 1st or the 15th? <laughs> I, I believe he <laughs> Well, I will say, though, I, I, I said a lot of a lot of people, though, are, a lot of people don't have that ability to write a mistake away like that. I mean, Robinson Cano is almost the Pirates payroll. So, I mean, into this year. So, I mean, but, hey, I have to give him credit for being able to do that. I mean, I, not many people would do that. That's for sure. Uh, I did also want to talk a little bit about I, – I started this on Monday, so I apologize, but I wanted to talk about Pablo Lopez. You know, at the time, he had an ERA of .29, and, of course, on Monday, he gives up four runs, you know, after I get to do this. So it's ballooned all the way up to 1.28. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is between him and Sandy Alcantara. I mean, those two those two starting pitchers there that nobody's talked about, you know, in, in baseball right now, those two guys are really pitching extremely well. And then again, I look at it again, Donnie Baseball. He's done a pretty good job over there in the Florida Marlin. I mean, it just wasn't just a couple of years ago, we were laughing at the Marlin big time. You know, Derek Jeter gets there. We're like, why does he want to be there? Why does he want to be part of all this? They're not a bad team. And that division, it may be a little tougher than I thought going into. I mean, the Braves are the ones that are kind of stinking up that joint in that division right now. So, I, I mean, kudos to Donnie Baseball. I think he's done a great job over there considering the resources, considering what he gets to deal with payroll every year, for them to be competitive and build the pitching staff the way they have. Kudos to him. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, they're really getting – have got a 24-year-old named Trevor Rogers. Who, yes. Uh, Really throwing to stick something right now. He's an all-star caliber pitcher as well. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a team that I don't think's going away anytime soon. No, and I think that's a team that can determine who's going to win a division in September. That you know, when you start playing your divisional games down the stretch, the Marlins are going to be a tough out. So, you know, you know, you, you know, they could, you know, if you beat the Marlin, 
that may be the reason why you win the division and not win the division. Um, you know, the Braves, I don't think the Braves will keep scrappling the way they have. I thought it was very important for them today to split that four-game set with the Mets. I thought today's game was a must-win for the Braves. You know, if you would have lost three out of four to the Mets again, you know, I think that that would have put some more pressure on you going forward. Or let's just say this, it would have left you less, you know, maneuverability room, you know, going forward. Because you can't you can't expect to play 60, you know, 680 baseball, you know, the rest of the way. You can't keep doing things of that nature. But I just, I mean, I mean, the Phillies, if the Phillies can ever start hitting, they're going to be good. I mean, so it, that division, I thought maybe might have been kind of top heavy. I don't know if that's the I don't know if that's the case anymore. I don't think so. I don't think so. But that Braves lineups. Yeah, they're gonna so really the the whole after your three hole, you don't have much going on except for their catcher Travis Arnold and 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 we live in this society where we're, we're used to instant gratification on everything, you know, and people, people fly off the handle. Remember this time last year, everybody wanted Aaron Boone, you know, they yeah. wanted his head. Absolutely. Randy Levine, Randy Levine suggested they, they hire Buck Showalter. And um, although, although I, I think Buck would have been a great hire, just like we're seeing that he was, in New York, yes, yes, yes. But now that Yankee team's coming together, and you know, it's 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 a cycle sport. I mean, I'm kind of I'm glad you kind of brought that up. It seems like we're getting some old heads back in to baseball. You know, the Dusty Baker, Tony Larusa coming back, Buck Showalter coming back. Is that kind of giving some stability? to be able to ride through the peaks and valleys of a, you know, of a, of a long baseball season because they, you know, they've got skins on the wall. You know, I mean, I think mm -hmm. we're going to that Gabe Kapler, you know, Rocco Baldelli, you know, you just got to get somebody that just got out of the game. And that's, we were pushed Aaron Boone's, the, um, the Rangers, Chris Woodward, you know, mm -hmm. we were going young, young, young. Maybe you might need to go with the gray-haired guy that's been there and done that for 20 and 25 years, you know. I mean, look at Dusty Baker. He just got his 2000th, you know, career win. He's, you know, he, he's one of, what, five managers now. They got 40 playoff wins and 2,000 career wins now. I mean, you know. Taking more teams to the postseason than, than any manager in history, and that's, uh, you know, the two behind him are my father and Tony LaRusso. Yeah, that. Hmm. I think that you know. I think that what Buck Showalter's deal was, he didn't really want to go to the analytics so much, and maybe that was the reason why he was out of the game for so long. You know, for those three or four years. But he seems like he's incorporated some of it. You know, I mean, maybe it's just a processing type deal. Maybe it's just information overload. Maybe he uses, but I bet you he's still going by his gut, seventy-five, eighty percent of the time. Here's my thought on this is a guy like Buck got to they're not going to analytics only do anything. Right. Right. They've got to use their gut sometimes. And 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 that's that's no different than the manager who always did it by the book. You know, they didn't have the term analytics, right. but you, you knew what your percentages were on making every call. Percentages say you should bunt here, you should not bunt, you should steal. That's where you had managers made a big difference on being a guy that did something you know, off the cuff that was a little different. And so I think Let's give him all analytics. Let's expect him to use those analytics most of the time. But he has the right as manager to say, no, not, not this time. 
I'm going to go with my gut here. I'm going to do something completely off the grid. If nothing else, just to throw off the other side's analytics a little bit because we're not going to play by the book. And that's what I think we're seeing because you can't just go analytics. It's the team that finds a way to fuse it all together and get the old school with the new school and make it work. Call it, I just call it additional tool in the tool chest. You know, it, it doesn't need to be the, the, the cure-all, but it's just a vehicle that you have in there. You reach in there. You, you, don't, you don't use a Phillips screwdriver on everything. You know, so you got to you got to have the information that they can hand, but you also got to know the game. And and I'm and 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 don't you have to trust your manager? Isn't that what you're paying him to do to manage the game? You know, so I wonder. (laughs) I wonder on Boone if he's making any calls at all, because he never managed at any level. Why? Never. And. And so here's a ball player and he called games on Sunday night. Yeah. If you had a $4 million sports car, would you toss it to some kid who'd never driven one before? I mean, I don't think so. And it's funny too. People always say to me, Oh, your father would hate analytics. No, I didn't know my father at all. He would have loved all the information. He wanted all the information. I guarantee you, he was going to go and go the absolute opposite of the analytics sometimes, just because he would see that as a as an opportunity to take advantage of. So I'm going to have him hit the ball over there and he's going for second. You know, I mean, he would have tried to push it in ways that would have been really creative. Well, I think your dad's a sponge for baseball information anyway. So, I mean, you know, it would have been, there's no way that if somebody would have brought all this to him that he's not going to look at it. I mean, he loves the game that much that he's going to say, well, maybe there might be one advantage in all these papers in here that I could use, but I'm going to read it all. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's the way you do it. But, you know, I just – I kind of like seeing the older guys coming in. I think it gives the – I think it gives the game a shot of history, but it also it, it also gives the game a shot of respect because, you know, they respect what they've already done for the most part. Now, the White Sox last year, at the beginning of the year, may not have respected Tony Larissa last year. <laughs> they came around. They came around, though. I mean, they stopped questioning his, his stuff and when they had success. You know, whenever those guys come in with those guys breed success, you know, you start buying in. And, um, you know, I don't need – a guy that I played against for 10 years who just retired a year and a half ago telling me what I need to do on the baseball field. I have a feeling I'll be like, I'm a better player than you are. Now you're telling me how I'm going to get better. Might go on deaf ears with some people. You know, it might go on some deaf ears with people. You know, I, I think that, Hey, look at your dad. Pining away playing for a long time and then coaching in the Pacific league, coaching in the minors and all that stuff. That's where you perfect your craft. You don't do it by just retiring and then all of a sudden showing up in the lot in the dugout and saying, all right, I got my iPad. Let's do it. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, well, let's look at it this way. So if, if Jake Berger or, for the White Sox, questions of Tony LaRussa. He'd say, you know, I'm in this little club called the Hall of Fame. So <laughs> shut up and listen. <laughs> yeah, I was a rookie when your dad was born. <laughs> uh, I did also want to combine, hey, kudos to the Mets. We got a no-no this past weekend. Five pitch. No, no, this past weekend. <laughs> it made me think, 
Kershaw, you sure you don't want to try to get those last six outs? <laughs> but yes, a no-no, a five-pitch a five no-no. And the thing that really caught me off guard, that's just, that was just a second no-no for the Mets in their history. You'd like to know who has the, who has the no-no for them? I believe that would be a fellow named Seaver. No, that's who I thought. Johan Santana is the only one that got the no-no for the Mets. Yes, <laughs> I thought the same exact thing. Johan Santana got it in 2011, I believe it was, or 2012. I saw that over the weekend. But Seaver took two no-nos to the ninth and got beat and, and gave up a hit. Two no-hitters in the ninth. One of them was in Yankee He got Stadium. his first no-no with the Reds. That's where receiver got his first no-no is with the Reds. Yes. I, I looked that up on Sunday night and was stunned by that. But, yes, Tom Seaver's first no-no was with the Cincinnati Red Stockings. <laughs> but, yeah, he took a no-no twice um, with the Mets in the ninth inning and gave it up both times a base hit. One with two outs. I believe the other one was with one out. I can't remember for verbatim. But yes, but that surprised me. But I, I, I do I'm remember Johan sure Santana doing that because that was an ESPN televised game on a Friday night. I remember when so when Johan got it. But yes, that really surprised me. I wanted to bring that up with you there, but um, but that that was that was that was an eye opener for me. Um, the other thing I thought that was very huge was um, you know in spring training there was a lot of talk. There was a few Yankee players that weren't vaccinated. And they were going to miss the Toronto series. Hmm. Funny how the entire team is now vaccinated and was able to make that trip to Toronto on this past Monday because <laughs> there were some heavy rumors that Rizzo and Judge were not vaccinated. So obviously they weren't going to be able to enter in Canada if you're not vaccinated still because of the virus. So they were there and obviously as a Yankee fan, I guess the way Judge is hitting, I'm glad he got vaccinated <laughs> because right now he's pretty locked in. <laughs> and for a guy that's betting on himself, he's had a pretty good first three weeks of the season, hasn't he? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, Yankees taking, um, obviously winning the series in Toronto. I thought that was huge for them. I mean, I know they're on 11 game winning streak, but a lot of those were against them. Some of the bottom half of the league, you know, you had Detroit, um, you had the Guardians mixed in there, you had um, Baltimore mixed in there. So I know a lot of people were saying it was kind of fool's goal, but to go into Toronto and only hold them to three runs in two games in that ballpark in the first two games, that's not bad. The Yankees won't do them one thing, they're pitching and they're playing defense. When was the last time we said the Yankees are playing defense? It's been a long time. I, been in the past either. I mean, so I think I think that's an upside. Yeah, I think that's getting better, more consistent, and. No, it's uh, I really can't say I'm shocked. No, either it's early. It's a streaky team. There are a lot of streaky guys on that team, and they're human patches too. And listen, when they hit that rough patch, don't talk for it. You know, don't don't scream for Aaron Boone or Ashton. And we and we even said last week that the Yankees were going to get to that streak where they're going to start hitting the ball out of the ballpark, and it's going to look like everything is all great and new and it's beautiful and all that. I will say this: I saw Tim Lamacastro come in and steal a base and manufacture a run when Glaber Torres brought him in. I don't see that very often in Yankee teams. I like to see it more of it. You know, um, I do know one thing. It's nice to see a catcher be able to frame the ball and not see him feeling the ball off the back of the wall all the time. <laughs> you know, that's been an upgrade. 
And we talked about Kaya Falefa. They were getting on him in the Bronx at the beginning of the season. All the guy's doing is batting 330, 330 or 340 right now. He's getting on base, and he's playing excellent defense at the shortstop position, something we hadn't had since D.D. Um, um, went Morris. to Philadelphia. Yeah. So, I, you know, there is some parts in there, but I think the biggest thing for them is their starting pitching has been really good there. I mean, besides Cole, I mean, Cole hasn't pitched to his 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 ability, but Montgomery's pitched his butt off. Nestor's pitched his butt off. Um, Serverino has pitched his butt off for them. I mean, and Talion, he pitched his butt off yesterday. I mean, only giving up one run in that, bar, in that bar yard up there in Toronto. I mean, you get starting pitching like that, and you get guys running in some baseballs and hitting it out of the ballpark, you're going to win some games. Now, can you do it in October? Yeah, we'll see, but I'll tell you, he's kind of a hidden gem on that team, too, Michael King. Yeah. That kid has got great stuff, and he's kind of in that stopper role where sometimes he can do that I think he's a future stud in that rotation. We're going to see, and they have a ton of really good kids right there knocking on the door. I mean, they just sent one to the taxi squad that hadn't given up a run all year in Clark Smith. He's pissed eight and a third innings of no scoreless ball. He got sent to the taxi squad Monday when he reduced the rosters from 26 to 20, from the 28 to 26. I mean, so, and here's a guy that's been in the organization for the last four or five years as the number one pitching prospect for them. So, yes, I, I agree with you. It's been kind of surprising to say, well, I mean, Chad Green's pitched well out of the bullpen for them. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I, it's way early. Don't get me wrong. And there's some windmills that are about to come, you know, in the middle of that order <laughs> when they're out of sorts. But Rizzo's been everything that the Yankees have wanted. A left-handed bat that's giving you professional bats. But the power numbers has been surprising to me. He's tied with Judge, leading the American League with nine home runs already. Him and C.J. Crone is the other one that's nine home runs. I mean, do we think that do we think Rizzo was going to have double-digit home runs in four weeks? No. You know, we didn't think that. So, yes, I mean, it's I mean, it's an abundance of riches for them. Um, they're playing extremely well. Um, um, you know, Boston is not playing well in that division at all. Um, so it's it's you know, this you can't lose. You know, you, you, you can't win it in, in, in April or May, but you sure can lose it. Put horrible starts in, that, in, in, in April and May. And the Yankees are definitely not doing that right now. Um, I know we only got about another 10 minutes to see it coming up there. I did want to say another thing is the San Diego Padres, Billy, you know, who's leading up. I mean, they got number one and number two at batting average over there. And Machado's batting 380 and Hosmer's batting 375. They're doing all this without Fernando Tatis. And they just got this guy called Clevenger who came today and threw a 95 pitch game today against. Now I know it's against the Guardians. I understand temperate a little bit. But think about that. They're pretty good, and, and, and they're going to get like a mid-season trade acquisition when Tatis gets put back in that lineup. Yeah. No, they they have serious starting pitching. They got a guy who's kind of struggling right now in Denilson Lament, yeah. who's an upper 90s guy who's always been a starter, and they were they've been pushing him to kind of be their closer. Because of that big velo, it's not clicking. And, you know, there's rumors that they're talking about a potential trade with him. I bet they end up finding a way to stretch him out and get him back in the rotation, too. But, man, that's a strong rotation. Yes, it is. <laughs> and another club like the Yankees that literally had the best farm system in baseball a year ago. Yes. So, um, we're going to see those guys start to matriculate push them over the top because they're, they're, they're right off. They're all over the Dodgers right now. 
Hey, if you're if you're a fan of um, parody, you're not liking it right now because if you're if you live in Los Angeles or you live in New York. You have the best records in baseball right now between the Angels, between the Dodgers, and the Mets and the Yankees. So there's a, there's a lot of hate in between those two coasts right now. Because, <laughs> I mean, look at the Angels. I think the Angels have played extremely well here this year. I mean, the Dodgers, we knew were going to play well. Is it same? And by the way, does the Dodgers and the Giants, when they play each other now, are they always like one and two run games, it seems like? I mean, we had another one last night. I mean, it's there's not that much splitting the Giants from the Dodgers, it seems like, but the Dodgers just have that one extra go, it seems like. You know, they seem like Giants get there, then they get pushed back. They get there, they get pushed back. They get there, they get pushed back. I mean, you know, tough luck loss last night for them, obviously, again. But, man, I, I mean, the, 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 the NL West – is going to be tough, and the Rockies are not going away either. It looks like. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've got a hard time believing in that. But, but, but here is one thing I do think you might be right about because probably their best starting pitcher, Herman Marquez, really hasn't been very good this year. No, and for them to be doing this without their ace. And, and, and nothing from Chris Bryant. I mean, they haven't got nothing from Chris Bryant. He's yeah. on the he's on the DL. You know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's your wow. big, you know, you know so I mean, I, I'm not saying that they're going to be, they're going to compete for a wild card. I, I'm, I'm just saying if they're a 500 team, that's a heck of a job. Considering what they lost last year, you lose Jonathan Gray and you lose Story from that team. If you're competing at it, if you're a 500 especially in that division, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. No, you're right. It, you're right. And we're, and we're, we're saying that, and like you said, they're their highest paid offensive player and their, and their best pitcher have not been good. No, no. Not been a factor. Hey, it's, 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 it. when you look at the stats, I just go, wow. The standings and I'm, then I look at it and I see the Braves scrapling and I'm thinking, all right, Braves, well, Maybe it's deja vu. We'll just take the first couple of months off and <laughs> then we'll play 750 baseball the rest of the way. <laughs> you know? But I do, hey, I do think one thing, I do think there is a Freddie Freeman hangover there, though. I do think that. I do think there's a Freddie Freeman hangover. Sure, and first bat hit for a club. He's a big Yes. <laughs> and he's going to step right up and right. I mean, yeah. Well, I do want to get to our thumbs up, thumbs down for the week over here. I, I, I agonized a little bit over this, but I wanted to give the thumbs down to Arizona wide receiver DeAndre R. Um, Hopkins. Uh, in this day and age, why are we still having guys test positive for these PEDs? It's pretty spelled out pretty clearly what you can and you can't take. And there's ever a doubt, you just ask. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's real simple. You just ask the trainer at the Arizona Cardinals, can I take this? Um, I know people want to get an edge. I know that it's part of the game. I know it's kind of like cheating in baseball with the, you know, foreign substance and stealing. Land. I, I get all that. But you have so much to lose now, as in money and as you're tarnishing your, your career now by doing it. And I can't see, I can't think that DeAndre Hopkins needs to have an extra pick-me-up to still dominate in the National Football League. The guy is already a naturally great athlete. He's got great hands. I just don't get it anymore, Billy. I, I'm with you too, and it's you're gonna get caught. You yes. know, I don't care. Don't you. You're gonna get caught, and so why do you want that involved with your legacy? Don't get it. You know, it don't never goes away. And it, it's just, it's just not worth it. Not worth but, it. Mm -mm. Yeah. 
And my thumbs up will be for the NHL playoffs. And yes, there's an, only another theater I think you get is baseball playoffs and NHL playoffs. And let me tell you something. For five and a half hours last night, I was on the edge of my seat as my Penguins decided to go three overtimes against the Rangers last night. I think I had a coronary at least seven times. I think I had to go to the bathroom at least five times. And then finally, at the five minute and 58 mark of the third overtime event, and my man, Mr. Malkin, puts one in. I was spent. I felt like I just ran a marathon. And all I did was sit on the edge of my seat and watch a hockey game for five and a half hours last night. <laughs> but it's great drama. It's great drama. It is great drama. And this, this time of year is such a good time of year for sports. I, you know, with the draft, playoffs, NBA, playoffs. <laughs> baseball starting to gel. It's, uh, it's, it's a really, it's a great time of year for any kind of sports fan. And that's why you need to listen to balls on the wall. Yes, you do. And don't forget the USFL. Or the XFL or Major League Football. <laughs> well, hey, guys, we definitely appreciate you listening to us. And if you could subscribe to us on YouTube, Rumble. Uh, gosh, I forgot the, I forgot the other two. <laughs> Anchor and Spotify. Hit the, subscription, hit the subscribe button down there. And please put a comment on there. That's really the key to it is putting a comment on there, an emoji. And that, that will help us out tremendously. Billy, I've got to ask you, you did get a little golf. You got less than a minute. You went to go do a little golf outing last week. You got to let us know. How did that go? It, it got canceled, so I did not get to go. Oh, no. <laughs> my last few seconds. You guys, tell us. Dang, that stinks. Ah, well, that's good. Well, hey, everybody, we do appreciate it. We'll be back with you guys next week. You enjoy your sports week, and we'll see you next week.